we, as Restoration Church, we are a corporate church of James Valley Christian School, and so we have members of our body that serve on their advisory school board, and we have several members of our um, body that are staff members there, and um, many of our students that have attended there in the past and attend there currently, and they are accepting enrollment applications. If you've got questions or you need, uh, would like some more information about the school or how you can partner with them, whether that be uh, through prayer support or through financial support, uh, please see me after service or shoot me a message this week and we can share more information uh, with you. And so we're going to move into um, part two of a, a conversation we started last week. We've been in a series since October, um, and it comes from a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. And John talks about the life that has been made available to us because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. As I read from Colossians just now, we have been transferred from one kingdom to another because of the death of Jesus. And our lives as followers of Christ should not be hang on till Jesus comes and takes us home to heaven. We should be living in the kingdom of his son now because we've been transferred to that kingdom. And so we should be living out this life in a way here that affects the world around us. Um, a lot of times we actually preach a gospel that may mainly focuses on what happens to us after we die. Do you know where you're going to go when you die? Do you know what's going to happen when you die? And I wish we would focus a whole lot more on what's going to happen tomorrow and how you're going to live for him. Because I guarantee you, if you start living in the kingdom of the sun, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Okay, but if you try to focus on just going to heaven when you die, uh, that's a that's a slippery slope, I think, because if you're not living in the kingdom now, what makes you think you're going to actually enjoy anything about heaven? Because that's the kingdom. And so this is the life when we surrender our lives to Christ, we walk in this power. And so we use spiritual disciplines to help us live out this life now. And so we talked about the, the discipline of celebration, the discipline of slowing, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of servanthood, the discipline of, of confession. And in no way are these all of the spiritual disciplines that exist, um, but he's highlighting some. And some maybe are ones that you've never even heard of. Maybe you never thought that celebration was a discipline. Uh, but for some of us who take life far too seriously, Celebration is the reminder that God has us, that we're in the palm of his hand, that he's in control. And you can actually enjoy your days. Uh, the old hymn, I'll Fly Away, uh, always had a hard time singing that song. And so I actually changed the word because verse three was just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. And I would never sing that. I would sing just a few more days on earth and then I'll fly away because, yes, life can be difficult. But yet, if we focus on what we've been given in Christ Jesus and set our gaze on him, the days don't have to be weary. I mean, there will be weary seasons. There will be weary days. But we can trust and live in the kingdom of the sun now. And that's what this has been all about. And so last week, we started the conversation, or maybe even two weeks ago, about the, uh, I don't know, what we started a while ago on the guided life, and we were talking about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And last week, I started by trying to lay this foundation for what we in the Assemblies of God refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I titled last week's message and this week's message, Ignorance Isn't Bliss. Ignorance Isn't Bliss, because 
Uh, Ignorance is bliss is that concept that if you don't know about something, then you don't have to worry about it. So if you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, then, you know, ignorance is bliss. If I don't know it, I don't have to worry about it. And life is better that way. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, that's not true. (laughs) That's actually detrimental to our spiritual health. And yet that's how many Christians respond to the Holy Spirit because of maybe some of the excesses or some of the things that you've experienced or encountered that maybe were weird or maybe frightened you or you thought were not biblical. We threw out the baby with the bathwater and just decided it would be better not to know anything or just uh, live. If God wants me to have something, he'll just, you know, zap me with it. Well, that's not really a logical argument because God wants everyone to be saved. Correct? I mean, Peter tells us God wants all men to be saved. And yet the only people that are saved are those that call on him, those who repent, those who ask. And so the idea that, well, if God wants me to have the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I'll just get it. I'll just have it. He'll just give it to me. No, you have not because you ask not. And so last week I tried to lay this foundation going throughout the book of Acts, looking at some of the passages from Matthew and Mark and Luke where John the Baptist and where Jesus begin to prophesy about this baptism of fire that's going to come, uh, where the Messiah was going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And then we went through the book of Acts. We started in Acts 19, and we were introduced to a group of disciples that had received John's baptism, but weren't baptized in the name of Jesus. And so Paul baptizes them into the name of Jesus. And then after that, he lays his hands on them, and they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They speak with tongues and they prophesy. We look back all the way in Acts chapter 2 and the initial 120 that received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then two chapters later, we see them praying and asking for strength and empowerment. And the place was shaken. And again, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not this one and done. I received the baptism and yay, now I get to move on. It's that we need this filling of the Holy Spirit every single day of our lives. If we are going to be able to walk in the kingdom of the sun that is opposed to the kingdom of darkness. Just because we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness, just because all of those powers have been um, we've gained victory over them by the cross. That still needs to be lived out in our daily lives. And you and I do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the believers in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria who received the baptism in the Holy Spirit by the the laying on of the apostles' hands. And Simon the sorcerer, who had worked in some type of magic arts, was somehow impressed with this moment. And so something had to have happened. They had to have had some type of verbal or outward sign that showed they had received the Holy Spirit for Simon to be impressed by that. This guy had worked in magic arts. He wouldn't have been just impressed by uh, the apostles laying hands on believers and believers being all, oh, and smiling real big. I mean, there had to be some outward sign. Acts chapter 10, we see the Greek or the, the Gentiles receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit even before Peter finished preaching. I mean, they didn't even have a chance to respond to the altar call, get saved and baptized. It's like the Holy Spirit said, hey, before you develop a formula for how this happens, let me just show you. I actually think he did it that way because the, the, the Jews were having a hard time believing that God even wanted to save the Gentiles. And so the only way they were going to believe it is if God did something supernatural and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in that way. And so 
the question I get asked many times as a pastor is, do we even need the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And I joked with you last week, do we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And, you know, the, the saying is, well, actually, you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart because we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He gives us the boldness, the power, the strength that we need to live in the kingdom of light at work, at home, at school, everywhere in our community. And so when Jesus, I usually answer the question by just quoting Jesus. Can't go wrong when you quote Jesus, right? Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Again, I think they already have the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus breathes on them in John chapter 20, tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you know the, the mind without the Spirit can't understand spiritual things? That's in the Scriptures. So for them to be able to have their minds opened and, and have this understanding, I believe they have the Spirit. And so he says to them, It stands written that the Christ would suffer, that he would rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. They get the commission, go and make disciples, go and preach the gospel, go and do these things, teach other people, but don't go until you receive the promise from the father. In Acts chapter 1, Luke records it there in verse 4, saying, Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus again speaking, but wait there for what my Father has promised, which you've heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I believe the baptism in the Holy Spirit brings us into a greater intimate connection with the Holy Spirit that helps us to live out our faith. Is it necessary for salvation? No. What's necessary for salvation is to repent of your sins and put faith in Jesus. But Jesus wants us to receive this gift from the Father to us to help us not just get to heaven when we die, but to bring heaven to earth right now. How many of you, your workplaces, need God to invade them? Mine does, and I work at a church in a Christian school. Huh, yeah, even in those places, we need the presence and power of God because Christians aren't perfect. We need God to challenge us and to stretch us and to heal us and to make us whole. We need his presence and power in every part of our lives. And so if you work in a non-Christian environment, I'm guessing you need it too. In some of your homes, if there's an unbelieving spouse, you need the presence of God to invade that place. And the, the intimate connection that we can have with the Holy Spirit helps us to be able to live that out. And so if you want to go back, listen to last week's message for some of that foundation and some of that stuff that I, I taught that week, last week, I'm going to pick up on talking about tongues and why, why I feel like tongues is the initial evidence of a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know 
why we sometimes get hung up on these outward signs. Some people really struggle with the idea of tongues. They think that we don't need it, we don't have it. And so whether or not you believe it's actually the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit or not, it's a vital gift that is beneficial in the life of the believer, and it is for everyone. That's what I believe the Scripture teaches. And so you don't have to believe it's the initial evidence, but you ought to believe that it is something that the Holy Spirit wants to give us to help us communicate with Him in a better way, to help build up our spirit man, because that's what the Bible teaches us. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Apostle Paul is talking about speaking in tongues here in in 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 2. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, Speaking in tongues is basically just speaking in a language other than what you know. Some people think they're only known languages on earth. Some people believe that there are heavenly languages that aren't on earth, but that are uh, languages of the spirit that you can speak. Uh, Whatever they are, it's a language unknown to you. Okay, that's what Paul is referring to. So anyone who speaks in in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. See, there are those that think tongues was only given for the day of Pentecost to be assigned to those people that were around, that they could hear them praising God in their own languages, or that it's a supernatural gift when you're in a place where someone is of a different language and you don't know that language, the Spirit will enable you to speak in a language that that helps that person. And I have heard testimonies and reports of that. I've experienced that myself. So I know that that's possible. But that doesn't seem to fit with what Paul is saying here. When he's saying when you speak in a tongue and no one understands you, that there, it's more than just speaking in a language that someone else in the room is going to know. There is a benefit to speaking in tongues that he goes on to say here in verse 4, who speak, those who speak in a tongue edify or strengthen themselves that's the benefit of tongues in verse 14 he goes on to say if i pray in a tongue my spirit prays my mind is unfruitful so what should i do i will pray with my spirit but i will also pray with my understanding i will sing with my spirit but i will sing with my understanding because praying in the spirit does empower us it does strengthen us but god doesn't just want robots that he prays through He wants partners. So we have to pray in English and pray in the Spirit. We have to to sing in English and sing in the Spirit. We have to sing in that known language to us and pray in that language to us, but we also allow the Holy Spirit to pray through us. In verse 18, Paul, uh, we're going to come back to this passage too, but in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. More than all of you. Now, one of the things that Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is he's combating the spiritual pride that's existing in the lives of these believers. They're starting to think that because they speak in tongues or they operate in some of these gifts that they're more spiritual than others. And Paul is putting the kibosh on that right away. Um, It's not the gifts of the spirit that that show our character or our fruit in our lives. That's not a sign of maturity. It's just a sign of yieldedness to the spirit. You don't have to be mature in God or mature in the Spirit to operate in the the gifts of the Spirit. You just have to be willing. That's pretty much it. Okay, and that's why a lot of times the gifts get used by immature people. um, And I'm grateful that they get used by immature people. 
We just need to learn how to have conversations about how to correct one another or how to correct some of the misuses of the giftings and not just throw them out. I shared my story last week that I grew up in this environment of uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I didn't want anything to do with it because I saw excess and I saw things that I thought was un- were unbiblical. So I went to the opposite extreme and I tried the ignorance is bliss. And that doesn't work. And so I've tried the rest of my life now to find this place where we live out the gifts of the Spirit in a way that honors God and actually impacts the world around us. In Jude verse 20, Jude says, You, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Again, that concept of praying in the Spirit, building up our faith. In Romans chapter 8, In the same way, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Let's be honest. We all think we know what to pray for. But let's start to realize sometimes things are such a mess, we don't know what to pray for. And it would be good to start most of our prayer times by just praying in the Spirit. Because the Spirit then can guide our English prayers if we let him. And so we build up our faith, we build up our our spirit man, and then let the Holy Spirit uh, use our English to pray out loud so the people around us can agree with us. But Paul says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. See, I've heard people speak in tongues that at times sounded like they made clicking sounds or they made these like weird shrieks and Um, And so you sometimes wonder, you know, is that God? Is that person just like, what is going on? That doesn't sound like a language. But if you watch much National Geographic Channel or Discovery Channel, there are actually dialects in other parts of the world where they actually make clicking sounds or they make shrieking sounds to be able to communicate with one another. So here's what I know. I don't know. That's what I know. I don't know whether that is actually the spirit of God speaking through that person. And there are people that think, well, that can't be God. Well, there's a lot of stuff that I know is God that I would think can't be God. So I'm not going to say what is and what isn't God. And Paul right here says wordless groans. I've been around people that start groaning in the spirit and they just get so overwhelmed with a, a, a a burden to pray for people, and there's just no words that they can utter, and you know that something is happening deep within them, and the Spirit is praying through them. Why is that? Because God has given all humans authority on earth. He gave it to Adam. Adam lost it when Adam chose to rebel against God, but Jesus won it back. And all authority on, in heaven and earth has been given to me, he says. So therefore, go and do this. And so we are the vessels. We are the agents of God on earth demonstrating his will on earth. So when he wants to pray through us, we don't know how to pray, but we just give him our vessel and let him pray through us. Now, I wish the Holy Spirit just came and moved our tongues for us and just did all the speaking, but that's not how it works. He cooperates, we cooperate with him and we pray as he gives the utterance. So there are times when people are praying that maybe they'll use some wordless groans. Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance 
with the will of God. Nobody can pray the will of God better than the Spirit of God. Let him. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, good. If it's been a long time since you've prayed in the Spirit, not so good. Activate that gift every single day. I told you last week, start your day in the shower praying in the Spirit. Before you even have a conversation with your spouse, for those of you that have been with one another in the morning, start praying in the Spirit first. And let the Spirit of God get you in the right frame of mind before you have your first conversation with your spouse. Yeah, I know. We do that, we don't we? Uh-huh. For the, some of you are looking at me all spiritual, like, I don't do that with my spouse. Yeah, your spouse didn't call me this week, by the way, either. I just know I've been married a long time. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Again, this concept of praying in the Spirit. So I want to encourage you again this week that if you've never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, at the end of the service, we're going to take some time and we'll pray and allow you the opportunity to just ask God to fill you with His Spirit begin to speak out what he puts in your mind to speak out. I shared last week my testimony of just struggling with, well, that's just me, that I'm just making it up. And the more you begin to trust and the more you begin to speak out and the more you begin to yield to the Holy Spirit, the more you begin to understand his language, the more you begin to understand how he speaks and what he says. And I promise you, I've been doing it for only half of my life because remember I was, I was happy with ignorance is bliss for the first half. And I still am learning every single day things about how the Holy Spirit works and how he speaks. And I love learning that. And I go through seasons where I I don't pray in the spirit. In fact, last year at our minister's retreat, our general secretary was there and she preached a very simple message on being people of the spirit. And it was a challenge to be people who pray in the spirit. And as she was speaking, I just stopped and thought, Man, it has been a while since I prayed in the Spirit. And I'm like, and I, it's not like I just meant to stop or just, I don't know what happened. And so I don't know where it really got, but I just, at that moment, began to repent and said, Holy Spirit, I've neglected this. And I brought it back into the forefront of my life. So I go through seasons, just like maybe many of you, where we put that on the back burner and we think it's not that important. I promise you, Jesus said, don't do it without this. It's important. It builds us up. It gives us access to the Holy Spirit that we would not otherwise have. I want to take a little bit of time today, too, and I want to look at, I want to start looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. And um, I told you last week that um, I just, there's a lot of things I want to cover, and we'll just cover as far as we go, and then we'll stop, and then we'll move on to the next week. Um, and we'll hopefully get through it by the end of April, and uh, that way in May we can go on to our, our next discipline. But utilizing this discipline as we go into the next discipline. And so in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, it's commonly referred to as the, the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul is doing a teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, what's happened in, in Corinth is there's, there's a, a bit of chaos, if you will. Um, the gifts of the Spirit that we refer to them are, are manifesting in their worship services, but all kinds of things are happening. Uh, there's a lot of spiritual pride going on. There's a lot of people trying to talk over, like one person will get up and start sharing a prophecy, and then someone over there gets up and starts trying to talk louder, and then they're just 
It's just chaos. And so they're apparently asking Paul about some questions and wanting his input, wanting his feedback. And so he gives them his feedback. He tells them in response to your questions, I'm going to answer these. But he also um, goes beyond their questions. He does some correcting, maybe some even rebuking of them, if you will. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there ought to be fruit. Okay, and fruit meaning love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And I don't care what the other person or the other people in the body are doing. We can exercise fruit no matter what. I don't care what other people in our country are doing right now. We can exercise fruit because we have the Spirit. And we don't have to act the way other people act because we have the Spirit in us. And so a lot of times in Pentecostal circles, the gifts of the Spirit will operate, but the fruit of the Spirit won't be very evident. And that's what's happening here in Corinth. And Paul comes along, and he's trying to correct them. And so in verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, he says, Let two or three people prophesy, and let others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying, and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. Now let's, let's look at these verses here for a second. Uh, I was in Bible college at one point when we, we were having prophetic words or um, being spoken in the, the worship service. So if you've never been in a Pentecostal worship service where someone where there's a lull in the music and someone just speaks out a prophetic utterance or they speak out a message in tongues and then there's an interpretation, uh, that happens often in Pentecostal circles. Um, I, it doesn't happen right now in our body very well, um, but I've been praying that whatever COVID did to us uh, undoes and we get back to what we used to be because that needs to be a vital part of who we are as a body. Okay, that's what I believe the, the Apostle Paul is doing here. And so what happened was in a service, there was a fourth one. There was a fourth one. And we had a professor that got up and corrected and said, we're out of order today because there was a fourth message given. I disagree with that. I know that the Apostle Paul says, let it be by two or three, but I don't see Paul laying down a line saying, hey, in every worship service ever, when you all gather, three people at most, period. That's it. Shut it down after that. Remember, there's chaos going on here. They're asking how to correct it. Paul says, hey, let's go two or three. Okay, we don't have time for everyone to do it because if we do, then you're there all day and it's just chaos. So let's limit it to two or three. So when the fourth person speaks, I don't think that, the, that that's not the Holy Spirit or that person was out of order. I think that if it happens over and over and then we start having 10 and 12 and 15 and we're here all day and people are leaving early and people aren't hearing the gospel and no, other people aren't being ministered to, but certain people are getting a lot of ministry, yeah, then that's out of balance and there needs to be some correction. But one time, I remember in five years of chapels, there was a fourth one. I don't think it was out of order. Could be wrong. Maybe when I get to heaven, the Lord will be like, hey, you were wrong on that. I'll be like, oh, wow, shoot, missed that one. Um, but see, my salvation doesn't depend on it, but the health of our body does. And so we want to work together. But let's look at what he goes on to say. If someone is prophesying, the others evaluate what is said. Evaluate it based on our political leanings. Evaluate it based on our preferences? No, evaluate it based on the Scripture. 
if what someone is saying doesn't line up with the Scripture, that's not the Spirit of God. That doesn't mean that person is a false prophet or a sinner and needs to be excommunicated from the church. It means we need to have a conversation. It means we need to say, hey, when you shared that today, I don't see that lining up with the Scripture. And we talk through what's been said or what's been done. And a lot of that rests upon the leadership of the church to be able to make sure what's being said does not contradict what the Bible teaches. Now, if it contradicts your preference, well, there's a lot of stuff that contradicts my preference, but if it doesn't contradict Scripture, I'm okay with the Holy Spirit doing it. And so, Paul goes on to say, the first person, in verse 30 here, who is prophesying, and someone else gets a revelation and stands up and starts, the first one sits down. Is that how that works? I mean, isn't it supposed to be, you wait till I'm done, and then you talk? Like, I'm supposed to stop? I was talking first. Why do I have to sit down? Oh. See, he's counteracting the pride in the life. I'm not saying that we should get in the habit of interrupting other people, because I believe the Spirit is subject to the prophet. So when the Holy Spirit moves on you, you don't, you're not out of control and you don't just, I had to do it right away, I just had to interrupt. No, you could have waited until that person was done. Ideally, that would be the way to go. But if in your exuberance, you stood up and you started shouting out whatever you had while someone else was speaking, Paul's like, just sit down. Don't start a war trying to speak louder than them. Sit down. Okay? It's not about you, it's about the Spirit. And let the Spirit get out what He wants to say. You're not the only one He speaks to. He says that later in the, the chapter as well. And so He's giving these types of corrections that aren't necessarily laws that have to be followed, but it's a corrective teaching that if we understand what's happening in Corinth, makes a whole lot more sense. So then verse 31, In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For those people that like to say, well, I, I just can't, when the Holy Spirit takes over me, I just can't control it. Yes, you can, because the Bible says it right there. And so you don't have to be whatever you think you have to be. Now, I know when the Holy Spirit moves on our lives that sometimes it affects us emotionally and we get exuberant, and there is grace here for that. Nobody's going to come to you and be like, hey, simmer it down. We understand that happens from time to time. But we use the garden hose analogy to help us understand this. So I don't know if you've ever drank from a garden hose on like a hot summer day when the hose has been sitting out with maybe some water in it and you first turn it on. Generally, if you've done this before, you let a little bit of water run first before you take that first swig, because if you take that first swig, you get hot garden hose taste, and that's not good. And when the gifts of the Spirit operate, when the manifestations of the Spirit happen in our lives, we want people to taste the water of the Spirit, not the garden hose vessel. And so if I don't control my exuberance or how I respond to the Holy Spirit, I may freak someone out and actually push them away from God. And so I want to learn to hear what the Holy Spirit says and respond in a way that makes people comfortable enough to hear what I have to say or what the Spirit has to say and then walk away from it changed by that encounter. I don't want them to walk away tasting me. I want them to taste of the Spirit. 
And so that's why we try to learn how to correct one another and grow with one another so that the supernatural manifestations of the Spirit operate in an atmosphere of kindness and goodness and peace and love. And so as we go through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, I want you to, to, to keep in mind that the Apostle Paul is trying to do some correction. He's trying to clean up the mess that's taking place there. And that we don't want to draw lines as to what God's not saying or is saying based upon one verse that we pull out of these verses and then try to misuse it in that way. In fact, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul in verses 33 through 40, I don't have this on the screen because I don't, re- I don't have time to really dig into this passage. But this is the the passage of Scripture where it seems like the Apostle Paul is telling women they shouldn't speak in the church at all. And I ensure I want to. In fact, our homework for this week is going to be to read First Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 several times through the week and from different translations. I've actually preached on this passage in the past. If you want to hear it, I can pinpoint uh, where on our uh, podcast you could go back and read. Listen to that. But there is a way to translate and interpret what Paul is saying in these verses from in chapter 14, verses 33 through 40, that don't make it so women should be quiet in the church. In fact, if we translate it that way, I believe we're actually contradicting what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul lays down rules for how women should prophesy in the church, the appropriate way for women to prophesy in the church. Why three chapters later is he telling women not to do it at all? Either the Apostle Paul is bipolar or we don't quite know what he's saying in verses 33 and 40. And I think we don't quite know what he's saying in verses 33 and 40 and how we've mistranslated it. And if you just read five or six different translations, you're going to see that scholars can't agree. And any passage of Scripture where scholars can't agree should never be core doctrines in our lives. Okay, We agree on the big things, but the way that women have been mistreated in the body of Christ because of a couple passages of Scripture that scholars can't agree on, it's a shame on the church. And we at Restoration Church are trying to break out of that and make sure that women have the voice that the Scripture gives them in the body of Christ. And so next week, we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at a couple more verses and these manifestations of the Spirit and how they operate in the church or how they should operate in our lives. They shouldn't just operate in the worship service. They should operate in your workplace. Gifts of um, words of knowledge, messages of knowledge, gifts of healing could operate anywhere you are because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But a corporate worship gathering like this is a place where we can learn and grow in the safety of the body, where we can get it wrong, and we can correct one another, and we can help one another, we can learn from one another, so that when we get out there, we can be more effective in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the people who need it in our sphere of influence. That's the point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I want to take a moment, if we could, here at the end of this service, and I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads. I want you, if you want to put your arms out in front of you, if you want to stand, if you want to go to a spot in the room, wherever you want to be right now, I just want you to take a moment, and I want to first ask if there are those that are in the room today or those that are watching online, and you have never 
surrendered your life to Christ, you have never come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ the way that I read earlier from Colossians, that Jesus, by his death, made access for you and I to, to receive forgiveness of our sins and to come back into relationship with God, to have the Holy Spirit come and actually live inside of us. And the Bible says for that to happen, we have to admit that we have sinned, that we've broken God's law, that we've rebelled against him, that we've gone our own way, that we've been selfish. We have to believe that Jesus died in our place and that in his death and in his resurrection, he's made possible this new life, this, this spirit-filled life made possible for us to live out the kingdom of God here on this earth. And we make him the Lord of our lives. We surrender everything to him. And so if you're here today and you've never done that, you can do that today. You can admit, you can acknowledge that you've sinned, that you've rebelled. You can come right into relationship with God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Right where you're sitting. I encourage you to do that. For those of you that are here and you have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit at one point in your life and that gift, that language is very active in your life, praise the Lord. How are the manifestations of the Spirit, the gifts of healing, the gifts of faith, the words of knowledge, the words of wisdom? I long for the day when the body of Christ begins to see these gifts operate regularly in our lives. I didn't have a chance to talk on it today, but I believe every one of those manifestations is possible in every one of our lives at any moment as the Spirit enables and wills us. And so the, the, the gift of tongues is for you to learn the language of the Spirit so that when you go to work, the Spirit can get your attention, and one of the gifts that He wants to operate in that workplace that day can happen. And it doesn't have to be weird. You don't have to play worship music. You don't have to, to get in the Spirit. You don't have to, to tremble and shake. You can just say to that person what you think God is saying to them. And let the message be the profoundness. Let them taste of the Spirit. And not the water hose, the garden hose. But chances are, if you and I aren't willing to operate in those giftings in the safety of this room, we're probably not going to do it out there. Where we run, run a greater risk of maybe being made fun of, getting it wrong, making mistakes, looking foolish. So utilize this moment. If you've never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, or you've received, begin to pray in that language right now. Begin to pray in the Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit prompts you, maybe begin to pray in English. Maybe begin to receive what He has for you. Whether you've never received before, or you've received Begin now to pray in that spirit, to, to pray in that language, to ask him. And Father, I pray for those today that need to receive, that want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now 
that you would fill them with assurance, that you would fill them with peace, that you would fill them with an expectation, that you would tear down the barriers in their minds that have kept them from receiving, that you would help them today, that you give them grace to be able to receive, that you give them the boldness to begin to speak out the words that you're giving to them right now as you fill them. Holy Spirit, have your way over these next few moments. Fill us afresh and anew. As the apostles prayed in Acts chapter 4, as they faced persecution, as they faced difficulty, as they faced uncertainty, they knew they needed your power. They knew they needed your, your involvement. They knew they needed your strength. And God, I know that today we need it. As we walk out these doors today, we're going to walk into situations that are confusing, that are difficult, that are frightening, that causes frustration or anger. We're going to need the clarity of your spirit. We're going to need the empowering of your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask today for a fresh touch upon each and every one in this room, upon every person that's watching online today, for a fresh baptism of your spirit in our lives. To receive your power, your enablement, I pray. encourage you right now continue to pray in that language pray in the spirit receive from him all that he wants to give you today we're only going to take a few more moments but don't let this moment pass by just ask ask if one of the the manifestations one of the giftings of the spirit if you sense that the holy spirit wants you to step out and go to someone else in the room just begin to respond to him in that as well Father, I pray again for this body. I ask that you would give complete knowledge of your will and spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would always honor and please you in the way that we live and that our lives would produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, we will come to grow and learn to know you better and better. 
I pray that we would be strengthened with your glorious power so that we would have the endurance and the patience that we need. I pray that we would be filled with joy, always thanking you that you've enabled us to share in the inheritance that belongs to your people who live in the light. For you have rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for the guidance that you provide us, the empowerment that you provide us in our daily lives. Teach us to hear you and be more responsive to you. Throughout this week ahead, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Next week, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 and look at more. But I want to encourage you again, as you go through this week, Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, and read it through different translations. You can pause that over on the right-hand side. Um, read it from different translations, and make sure that you um, see the, the different way translators are, are bringing out different points. And so that next week, as we go through it together, uh, we can uh, some of the things that I maybe share with you will make more sense. So come prepared for that. I want to encourage you to uh, pick up a copy of the book, Want More?, by Tim Enlow. I referenced this last week. These are available out on the lobby. If you have questions about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, there are a couple down here in the front. They're also available on the lobby. Um, take one of those. It answers a lot of the practical questions that people have about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we just want to make them available to you. So if you're going to read it, it's yours to take. There is no cost for that. Those are available to you. So thanks for being here. Make sure you stop by the table on your way out and uh, pick up some information. The offering baskets are there as well. God bless you as you go today.